0: This is the Sporting KC Show on Sports Radio 810 WHB. It falls to on the volley! What a finish! Kinda has struck! It falls to Polito and he puts it in! To Johnny Russell, first time shot, and Johnny Russell has a hat
1: trick! The Sporting KC Show is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. Superior
0: light beer with only 95 calories and 2.6 carbs. Michelob Ultra. Find your fit. Now your host, Nate Buchanan. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Sporting Kansas City Show on your home for SKC Soccer, Sports Radio 810, WHB. Nate Bucati along with Ali Trost. Ali, how are you?
2: I am doing well, Nate.
0: Our good buddy Tom Bogert, who covers MLS, covers U.S. soccer, and all of those things, uh, is going to join us and talk about all of those things. So that will be coming up in the next segment. And we're going to have a long-form conversation with him, so hopefully you'll really enjoy that. We're going to preview uh, the upcoming match for Sporting Kansas City against the Vancouver Whitecaps in Vancouver on Sunday, 9 o'clock at night. Convenient kickoff time as you start the work week and all of that. But, (laughs) hey, it is what it is. Uh, We'll preview that for you. We'll talk about some other things that are going on in the world of sporting Kansas City soccer. One thing I want to put out there for those of you that might be like I and the Glowing Dragons are working on right now, uh, which is uh, you might be looking to head to the U.S. Women's National Team game coming up at Children's Mercy Park later this month on October 21st. That's a Thursday night. Uh, you might be able to win some tickets here. So listen to this. There's, a, there's an energy drink that is um, endorsed by uh, Sporting Kansas City owner Patrick Mahomes called BioSteel. Now, the idea behind this is clean, healthy hydration. So it's uh, sugar-free. It's an energy drink, but it hydrates at the same time. It's it's brand new stuff, and they're going to be doing samples of it at the High V in Liberty on Saturday from noon to 2. If you go there, you get your samples, and you can register for four tickets to the U.S. Women's National Team game against Korea Republic at Children's Mercy Park. So, again... Saturday noon to two. Get up to High V. Register, you might be able to win four tickets to that game. That's going to be a lot of fun, and I'm—I I'm I know so you're excited. going to be there. I'll Allie. be there. I'll be there yeah. covering
2: the game. I uh, applied for a credential, so I will be there as a media member. But I will definitely come by and uh, say hello to the Glowing Dragons. But no, I mean we had head coach Vladko Janowski on the show mm-hmm. last week, and if mm-hmm. you want to go listen back to that episode, we talk about the national team and some other things with Vladko. Really good conversation that you can find on the podcast page for this show, but. Carly Lloyd's farewell tour. I mean, it's so crazy Mm -hmm. for me to think about the fact that, I mean, she, I've got her autograph on a jersey of mine that made its rounds to events all over the U.S., thanks to my great Uncle Al getting signatures at different uh, U.S. soccer things. But the fact that she has maintained um, physically and mentally what it takes to to be a professional athlete, even at the age that she is at, is just incredible. I mean, what she's done... And the level that she's continued to play at is amazing. So well-deserved retirement for her and just an incredible, incredible U.S. soccer career and just really neat that people that grew up in my generation loving soccer and the next generation all get to kind of experience the greatness of Carly Lloyd and, you know, watching the up-and-coming stars. Sophia Smith's a big one uh, that everyone's got their eye on and it's just, it's an exciting time. So some new blood being injected into U.S. Mm -hmm. Women's National Team and a lot of players that People can have their eyes on watch them in NWSL and and abroad as well. But I mean, it's just yeah, it's going to be a great game.
0: And it's uh, it's a time that uh, I uh, like. I said my my daughter's team, the Glowing Dragons that I coach, we're going to be trying to get as many of the kids to go out and have a big uh, a big outing there and have some fun. Role models, role models, role models. Mm-hmm. I just I love the fact that uh, these girls get to watch uh, professional soccer players, uh, superstars, and dream of being them themselves. And, uh, and broadcasters, too, like yourself, Allie Trost, <laughs> and uh, you're going to come to a Glowing Dragons practice at some point and yes. show the kids, because I want them to see our friend Sydney Miramontes, who plays for Casey Woso, has come to, you know, she's kind of been like a celebrity coach for the girls. Uh, I want them to see there's other aspects of professional life in the sport of soccer for women as well.
2: Yeah, and I wish know? like growing up that I had maybe even known a little bit more, I think, you know, nowadays you see a lot more women on broadcast. You hear their voices, you see their faces, which is great. But, um, you know, it's, it's just it's the beginning. And the more opportunities that come up with all these new mediums of sports mm-hmm. broadcasting, it's just it's only going to result in more jobs for so many different people, minorities, women. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's going to be a great thing. But, no, I think, you know, if you love soccer and I, I get DMs from parents even now hey, my daughter's in eighth grade. She loves soccer, but I want her to see, you know, maybe other sides of the business. I mean, there's so many opportunities to work in sports if you're passionate about it. And, I mean, you've, you'll see this, Nate. I mean, we talk about this with Sporting Kansas City. Like, people who work there stay there. I mean, they've got mm-hmm. some of the longest tenured employees there because you're joining you're joining a team. If you love playing on a team, um, sports present a really good opportunity to work uh, on one as well. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be a really – Really fun night, and just glad for you know that Kansas City gets this opportunity to host this game because it's all helping us get closer to that twenty twenty six hopeful World Cup bid.
0: Yeah, that's right. And there was a news release that came out from Sporting Kansas City today about a streetcar unveiling that uh, that is going to happen on Thursday at ten a.m. This uh, media advisory came out and said uh, the mayor. Uh, and the bid director for the U.S. Nationals. Here, I'll just read some of it here for you. The Who. KC 2026 World Cup bid director Catherine Fox will be joined by Mayor Quentin Lucas and members of the KC 2026 Executive Committee as well as FIFA World Cup veteran Benny Failhaber to unveil the 2026 streetcar and answer questions about Kansas City's bid to host the 2026 FIFA World Cup. Uh, It'll be at 10 o'clock on Thursday and at the Transit Plaza area located at the Kansas City streetcar stop at Union Station. So head on down to Union Station. We'll be covering that on Thursday. Um, everything we can do to show that uh, Kansas City is ready for the World Cup would be awesome. And, uh, I mean, let's do it, you know. let's. Yeah. Uh, let, that's, that's really cool. I love when the streetcar is done up in different uh, logos and things like that. So I can't wait yeah. to see it.
2: Well, and, I mean, it's not just us. Being out there and promoting the event, like if you are just listening to this, if you're downtown, whether it's you know around tomorrow when it's all or not tomorrow, Thursday. I don't know mm-hmm. what day it is. On Thursday when everything you know is unveiled, uh, even if you're just going down there in the next couple of weeks, take a picture, post it online, tag the the at uh, KC World Cup Twitter. I need to get the exact handle on that. Tag the KC Sports Commission. Tag everyone that you know to tag to mm-hmm. you know put it out there that Kansas City. And the soccer fans here and sports fans here, not just soccer fans, want the World Cup in Kansas City.
0: It uh, should be good stuff. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk with Tom Bogert. We're going to talk about the U.S. men's national team. We'll talk about the, the landscape that is MLS with six games remaining in the 2022 schedule before the playoffs roll around. That's right after this on the Sporting Kansas City Show presented by Michelob Ultra. Kansas City Show on your home for SKC Soccer, Sports Radio 810 WHB, wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate you subscribing, downloading, listening, liking, all of those things. And, of course, we're presented by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. It's time to talk to one of our favorite guys, a man who covers the world of soccer from an American perspective, Tom Bogert, freelance writer for MLS. Does all kinds of other things. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Bogert. That's B-O-G-E-R-T. Tom, how are you, man?
1: I'm pretty good. You know, living the dream, right? We're, we're getting through it. How about you guys?
0: Yeah, it's the same... Same. I mean, yeah. we're, we're just getting ready to get back to the uh, the fall part of the season, which should be one of the most exciting parts of the of the MLS season, while also talking World Cup qualifiers at the same time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, full disclosure for our audience, you know, this is going to air at seven o'clock. We're taping this before the USA Costa Rica game. So obviously there's going to be more information at our disposal after we have this conversation. But that never stops us, Tom, from freaking out about American soccer and <laughs> casting stones wherever we can at the first sight of a bad performance. So, uh, how freaked out is everybody? Should everybody be after the uh, the game in Panama? Yeah, that
1: game was really bad. Um, that performance is really bad. It was. Um, I don't even know how, how much you can even point to, you know, the technical or getting even too deep into the way the game was played and, and the decisions that were made. It was. From the jump, the United States were second best to everything. They were slower. They were tepid. The decisions were slower. The You know, half a step off into every duel, and, and we can sit here and talk tactics. We can talk um, personnel decisions and, and everything that went into it, but if, if the 11 players on the field show up and don't come anywhere near competing at the same level against their opponents, that's, that's it. it. It doesn't matter if that was on the sideline. It doesn't matter if you know, every single player had these wonderful ideas of what to do when they got the ball. It, 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 everything was so slow and everything was a step behind, and and that's just a recipe for failure. And again, that's part of that is on the players. Part of that is on the coach. Um, I do think that he was correct in having to rotate the team because there are games, you know, two and a half every three days, and and these are players that some of which are traveling from Europe, others are, are coming from America, and and all different parts of the country to go to three different cities in two different countries over, you know, six or seven days. So you can't play the same 11 guys, 90 minutes each. So that was all part of it, but um, just didn't work out. And it was, it was really disappointing and insipid.
2: Yeah. Tom, I agree with you on the rotation side of things, because like you said, I mean, it's just the, the travel's too grueling to not make those adjustments and rotate guys in and out. But my girl, Jenny too, after the fact was like, Hey, the seven lineup changes was just a disrespect for Panama and what they bring to the table. Do you think it was more of not respecting the opponent or maybe a little too much confidence in the depth and the preparedness of the guys who would then be subbing in or you know coming into the, the starting lineup and fall, or coming up short?
1: I don't think it's disrespect at all. I think that this is just the nature of the modern game and this is the nature of having a deep squad. Like, look, the United States, we were we were all patting them on the back and congratulating how cool it was that they had essentially two different rosters Win yeah. trophies in the Nation League and the Gold Cup this summer. If you preach about the player pool, if you preach about we're one team, we're not eleven guys, we're not fourteen guys, we're not sixteen guys, then you have to rotate. And Berhalter said that today in his press conference that he, he, he wanted to make a point that He's like, "Hey, look, when I said that I take full responsibility for the loss uh, against Panama and the way we played, I'm not saying because of the players I picked. He's like, we still believe yeah. in every single player on this roster. And again, we're we're a team, we're a pool, but." You just go back to the team that was. Three of them up from the starting eleven uh, in the first game didn't travel. Those are three subs you have to make right there. Maybe I, the argument that, that I would, would hear is whether seven was necessary or not. And clearly, there was a plan for Musa and Adams to split 45 minutes. So you can call it six and a half because <laughs> I'd rather have Adams on for those final 45 minutes anyway, or, or, or whatever you want to break it down with. Yeah. You know, maybe six and a half. If we're going to call it was. Slightly too much, but I don't think that it has anything to do with disrespect to Panama. I think that has more to do with focusing on your, your home games more. And, and again, still putting out a squad that you believe is good enough to win against anybody. And that's no disrespect to Panama just because a couple, you know, regular starters aren't starting.
0: Okay. Only in the world of U.S. soccer uh, fandom to me is not being upset a hot take. Um, but allow me to provide a hot take here, Tom. <laughs> um, I'm not upset at all about this
2: performance. The microphone is on
0: fire. Right uh, now.
2: It I, I, just exploded in Nate's face. <laughs>
0: it was. A, it, yeah, it was lackluster. Uh, it was. It was. It was yeah. devoid of of energy and life. Um, it's disappointing. There's enough talent on the field to win a game in Panama. Uh, all those things. Uh, first of all, my my first answer to that is welcome to Concacaf. Mm-hmm. Uh, my second one is it's like this we, we have this duality as american soccer fans where on the one hand we're sure that disaster is coming around the corner at every turn and that everybody who is american-based must be a, a a fool or uh a, a, or destined for failure at the same time these like unrealistic expectations for how we're supposed to perform and i don't for the life of me understand how you can do both of those things I'm very excited about this American uh, soccer team and their and their chances to actually go make some noise in the World Cup. Should they make yeah. it? I think there's a lot of young yeah, talent. Me, no, go ahead. i <laughs> sorry,
1: I don't know how much I left you out on the phone. There, I meant to get out of the way and let drop have value, but yeah, no, you stumbled into something like I don't want to like give you know trolls on Twitter or whatever you want to call it like a <laughs> oxygen, but. Over the past couple of days, and again, I, I don't take any of this seriously I laugh, particularly if it's in an, an honest account. I, I try to play around or have fun. You know, I know that people care and, and have opinions, and, and that's all good. But I, I was uh, been accused multiple times of manufacturing consent for bad MLS players and MLS narratives is one of the things I've been, I've been accused of, simply for the absence of, as you said, an absence of a hot take, the absence of me you know, demanding that not only Greg Berthold be fired, but probably exiled from the country for uh, the rest <laughs> of his life. Um, somebody, somebody, I woke up today to, to somebody <laughs> saying that, uh, you know, U.S. soccer would be better off if I dropped dead, which I, I don't see the correlation there. Not so true. I'm not entirely sure, so... <laughs> I don't. I don't think U.S. Soccer would change whether I'm like alive. No, I mean, you're the problem. Fact, I, was, I was very
0: it's, it's people like you I that don't. refuse to hold these guys accountable. That's causing soccer <laughs> malaise in America. Here's okay. So I will. I will finish a little bit of my rant here, Tom. So, so this is how I see it. There is young talent. There's more young talent. I don't think it's even a, a debate. There's more young, exciting talent in this country than ever before. This talent has shown multiple times through the course of this summer and fall that they are up for it. Ricardo Pepe being the most exciting recent addition to that, who has shown time and time again, every time he's gotten the opportunity, whether it's an MLS, All-Star game, whatever that he's up for. There, there is even starting to become some depth in terms of, hey, if this guy can't play, we've got another guy that can play, as seen by the fact that Reyna and Pulisic are not in this competition, and yet the team still went out and, and won a home game in a resounding fashion. Mm-hmm. I think it's fair for Greg burhalter to not exactly know how all of those pieces fit right now, particularly when it comes to the depth part of it, when it comes to, I got two of my biggest stars missing because of injury. I've got other guys that need to rest at some point during this three-game window. Like, for example, I think he should have played Busio down in Panama. You know that and maybe I'm a little biased on that. But, you know, you know, but to me that's that's part of the process here of sorting it out. When Tyler Adams can't start, who goes in there? And he's supposed to just magically know that and have it all work perfectly in the jungle in Panama? Well, and like, I mean, I what? just think that's a little outrageous.
2: Was the United States supposed to go like undefeated in the qualifiers? I mean, th- this is the time while right. still getting results to figure those things out. And when you factor in the injuries as well, I mean, Tom, I'd like to know what you think about this as well because a lot of what I saw on Twitter from the very level-headed fan base that we are speaking of, that we're all a part of as well, like people <laughs> like to think that like if you disagree, yeah. that you're not on the same team. It's like, no, we all want the same thing here. I'll be but,
0: despondent if they don't qualify for the World I mean, Cup. I, will, I mean, I'll be devastated. Will, I'll <laughs> probably have
2: to call off work for some time. So. Yeah, <laughs> but no, like Tom, the other part of you know the reaction was. There's too many MLS players on this team. Like Greg Berhalter's forcing MLS into the, like maybe these people don't follow the league as closely as we do to like actually have a, as good of a pulse, but like what do you, what's your reaction to that argument that seems to be kind of sweeping the twitters and other social medias?
1: I just think it's po- positively nonsense and like <laughs> I, I try not to give it any oxygen because like there's there's no big conspiracy. Like I don't I don't like I was looking back cuz you know, I'm trying to check myself and like I don't I don't I just want to you know reject things out of hand or make it sound like I'm being condescending or whatever to people. So, like sometimes like I said, sometimes I like to play around. it. If somebody's overly mean to me on, on the internet, I try to laugh about it. And then other people somehow take that as me being mean to somebody else when you know things are happening like that. So I was like, oh, I'll engage on a few of these. And I looked into it. Like first of all, the Nations League roster by this same very head coach had four of 23 players are from MLS. That has the lowest it's been for a, a tournament in, in recent memory, or maybe outside of World Cups. So, you know, for I look back at the 2010 World Cup roster, which is Bob Bradley, who people give him thick about MLS and, and domestic, whatever. He had, um, I think, he only had four or five MLS-based players at the at the 2010 World Cup. In 2014, when Jurgen Klinsmann, who is, you know, the most public anti-MLS um, U.S. men's national team manager of all time. <laughs> He had nine or ten guys on his final 23 man roster for the 2014 World Cup from MLS. Like, this is no different. This is, and, like, <laughs> and if you look at the guys who are playing in Europe right now, even more so in the past, they're produced by this league. Like, right. I don't know where this narrative is coming from. And like, Bucio, you could also consider, like, 50 start. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, Bucio was the day that he put his foot down in, in Venice, became a better player than when he was at Sporting Kansas City, to some people. Mm-hmm. And, like, I'm, I'm surprised that Christian Ramirez isn't getting shots for call ups because he plays for Aberdeen in the in the magical land of, of Europe. And, and, again, I don't even want to frame this like Europe versus MLS because it's not. For me, it's, it's about who the productive players are, who the players are in form, who the players are that have been in the system, or the players are that fit well with the other players on the roster. Like, I don't. I don't look at all at MLS versus Europe because I don't. I just don't think it's it's sensible. Like the, it's not relevant. the MLS league is, yeah, MLS is better than Austrian league. That doesn't mean that the best in the is better than Benin Anderson right now, and that doesn't mean you know that once you start, like the heat just started over you know, just because LA like the the Major League Soccer is better than the Austrian Bundesliga. Like I, these are things that just don't cross my mind, and and it, it annoys me that. If they have, if there's a bad game where MLS players play, it, it's like people turn to, to to people who cover the league as like, hey, see, look, like you're wrong or, or whatever. Like, and I don't want to come off like sound like I'm just defending MLS guys all the time because they they don't people don't think sometimes the same way as, as if it's a younger player in Europe that has a bad game for the national team. Like that's okay, he's young, he's playing in Europe. But if, if it's, it's confirmation bias or anytime something goes wrong, to blame. You know, I can play uh the, uh, the MLS best players. And again, I, I still don't want to make it one versus the other, but look at the um, European-based players who, who played against Panama. They were bad, too. Like, Shaq Moore wasn't good. Um try trying to think, like, Yunus Musa was okay in the first half. He, he wasn't exactly great. Nobody played well. Nobody. So, like, I, it's just it's just a weird way to look at it and scapegoat and try to compartmentalize that, okay, if we just fix this one little thing, then we'd be the best team in the world. So, I, I just it, – it, it really – one of the things that gets me worked up because I think that it's just such a it, in oh, sincere <laughs> argument. I think it's an in like it, you're going into it without the right intentions, and those are the ones that bother me the most.
0: Yeah. Well, it's also it's also so overly simplistic. Um, it, it, it's it's a way for somebody yeah. who doesn't want to have to pay attention to all these leagues and know all this stuff.
2: Well, and U.S. men's national team fans should be fans. Er, if you're not a fan, at least like very behind MLS and what the league's doing, like to yeah. almost act like you're in this other like you're against MLS for some reason, because you like it, it's so counterproductive to what we right. all again collectively as fans of U.S. soccer want to achieve. Like you need all of these things to be operating at the highest level and in the healthiest, most like threat. Like I mean, MLS is thriving right now; it's growing more and more. It's like that's a good thing. It's, oh my god!
0: The up. biggest storyline of this qualifying. I, 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 kick- wish, I wish every single. Go ahead, Tom.
1: I wish every single national team player. I wish every single national team player was at Liverpool, Barcelona, Juventus, and insert all of these super clubs. I would strongly prefer that if, if there was twenty-three to twenty-six players on all of these teams, better than anybody else in the world. And it doesn't not just MLS; it could be Mexico, it could be Austria. It could be, you know, Belgium or whatever. I don't care. I just, the best 23 to 26 players. It doesn't matter where they play.
0: Well, and it's also the best that fit together on your roster, too, because, you know, it depends on what kind of yeah. system you're playing and all those things. But to me, the biggest storyline of this entire World Cup qualifying campaign to this point has been the emergence of Ricardo Pepe, who plays in MLS after a bunch of other guys who were playing in Europe were given chance after chance after chance to take hold of the number 9 spot, and he's done more in two-and-a-half games than any of those guys have done in several opportunities. It's like the evidence mm-hmm. is right in front of you, and that's not just because he's in MLS, and it's not just because those guys are in Europe that he's doing better than them. It's because it's each, it's up to each individual, and yeah. they're all in different pl- spots in their career. Um, so it's mm-hmm. just th- that stuff is silly. Um, but we could be completely changing our tune while yeah, this game, this podcast is, is playing because if the U- <laughs> if U.S. doesn't go out and, and get a win against Costa Rica, I will be changing my tune quite a bit, Tom. I will be upset. I will say, okay, this is a problem. Yeah. They've got to take care of business tonight, and I know the game's going on right now, but in your opinion, what kind of a challenge is it for the United States? And, and what I guess what are you expecting in this situation?
1: Yeah, it's a big one. It, this is with, with two home games in this window against getting- – Jamaica and Costa Rica and Jamaica had been struggling and that was very important and both in style and in results that win against Jamaica. Again, Panama you'd love to win. You'd love to win every single game, but in reality, like it, it's not it's not right to expect that. So this this game against Costa Rica takes on more importance. And this is why last one though I wasn't as mad about the draw at El Salvador as I was at the draw at home against Canada. One, because the performance was equally very bad, but because You need to win those home games because you don't put yourself in a situation where if the United States drop points against Costa Rica, okay, you have to go to Costa Rica later in the window and win points. I don't want to be in that situation. So, again, that's – and as you said, my tune would change the same way that the Honduras game simply became must win in the first window. It simply did. And and that was one where um, I'm not sure if I would have went all the way to fire Berhalter or make a change or whatever, but I would have entertained it. Like Mm – unlike just any old, old loss and, and I wouldn't be there against Costa Rica but it, it would be a really disappointing result if they come out and, and play the way that they did against uh, Panama or the way that they did against El Salvador in, in the first window and you know just look bad and, and again a Costa Rica team missing a few of their top players and just called in a 37 and a 39 year old to make up the roster so um, this is, again it, it's Maybe not a must win, given the points that have been accrued, but they're, they're, this would give them a world of difference if they get three points rather than one or zero.
0: I don't know if anybody else sees it this way, but everybody remembers the Trinidad-Tobago um, loss last time around. But for me, that, that loss to Costa Rica two games yeah. before that at yeah, home you. was where the, where the thing really got lost because you got to win that game. You know, you can't get outplayed by Costa Rica yeah. on your home field. And I know that playing in New York, by the way, was a terrible decision, in my opinion, in that in that one. But so this is a chance to turn around and make that right, you know, win this game at home against Costa Rica. Yeah,
1: and again, like Costa Rica, and everybody's jumbled right now because it's the first five games of qualifying so the nature. Is three points will move you up or down pretty easily. But Costa Rica at 2.5 in the United States. I don't know what the, what exactly off the top of my head what the other schedule is of the night, but if results go a different way, United States could drop to say fourth or fifth, and, and depending again, depending on who does what and what happens, then that's... Look, there's plenty of time for something to change, and that's not catastrophic. That's not bottom of the group, but but again, with, with home games in this window, a little bit easier, and you still have at Mexico, you still have at Canada, you still have at Costa Rica on the on the picture list, gotta be three points.
2: Okay, let's move on to Major League Soccer where there are no games being played tonight, um, but Tom, <laughs> we were laughing before we started recording here just about how this season, like It just at some points never felt like oh my gosh we're in the final stretch here like they're just with all the different competitions and everything Mm -hmm. like we were even joking how the busio news feels like it was almost like a year ago just because of how much time seems or feels like it's passed since all that went down you of course had a lot of the scoops joined us here on the sporting kc show but just looking at where we're at in the season right now and let's focus i guess first on the western conference just because that is of interest to our fans here of sporting kansas city just what are your thoughts uh, of the upper half of the table here and, and how things might play out during these final few games?
1: Yeah, in Kansas City, the loss against Seattle kind of really hurt. that chase the top spot in the West. Um, the, the top three, uh, uh, Seattle, SCC, Colorado, seems to be pretty set in, in getting away from the pack. I know that, that Portland are kind of making a move here, but... It seems pretty safe to say that those three teams will be the top three, and then you know uh, Portland fighting for that uh, fourth, that fourth spot, which would be uh, a round one home playoff game. So yeah, the top of this conference is really strong, just like it always is, and just like you know the top forty of the conference should, get in theory, always be. Kansas um, yeah, City should be looking at you know the the bottom half. The, the, the playoff picture is still really jumbled, and, and when it comes to you know. Salt Lake, to even San Jose, they play LAFC. That, that feels like one of a, a loser go home kind of game, but you know you never say never in, in MLS playoffs, chase. So who we'll knows if your team will still be around, depending on you know a good or bad result. But you know they are there are still going to be difficult games no matter what. And again, let's say you 40 40 City finish second or third, that the, the sixth and seventh right now is LA Galaxy and Minnesota United. Both of those teams are struggling, but you look at both of those teams, they, they still have supreme quality. And, and in a one off, even on the road for those teams as we learned last year against Minnesota in on, a one-off with, the team with, with uh, really good talent like they do, nothing is guaranteed. So it, it, it's all about follow-up, ensuring that they can wrap up the second spot and holding off Colorado and, then you know, put some pressure on Seattle to try to get that uh, round one by and then hold to the man.
0: So on the other side of the the, the, the table, so to speak, the, the New England Revolution are running away with everything, and they just look like they're never going to lose. Um I know that Bruce Serena got really uh, prickly a couple weeks ago when he was asked about all the one-goal wins that uh, his team was settling for.
2: Which sounds like Andy Reid last year with the Chiefs a little bit, with all the one-score games and yeah. uh, kind of hurting him a little bit.
0: But I do kind of have this picture in my head of uh, there's there are teams that are built for the Supporter Shield, which are teams that need depth and the ability to grind out results week in, week out, over this marathon that we just discussed. And then there are teams that win tournaments, Um, and I'm curious, do you see both out of this New England team? Are they both kinds of team? and and what do you think of the East right now when when it comes to what the playoffs will look like?
1: Yeah, I do, and I actually, and it's easy to say this in in hindsight because of LAFC losing to Seattle in the playoffs when they set the league single season at different points and was to that point the best team I, I think I'd ever seen. Um, in the regular season, last and, you know, I guess my, my memory so not, not all 26 years, but, you know, <laughs> the last decade or so. I think that New England or this this version of New England is better suited than LAFC would be to that LAFC team rather would be to a uh, playoff run. I think that those one-goal wins and, and, and lower scoring games kind of, you know, lend itself to that idea and, and like that LAFC team, they're going to have the best player on the field no matter who they play in Colorado Field. And if, if Carlos is kind of Bottled up or doesn't have his best game. You have Adam Bucha, Gustavo Bo, Taylor Buchanan as three game breakers on their own. So they have multiple ways to beat you with high, high end talent. They have Matt Polster, a very, very good defensive mid, who when I sit down and look at it, he might be he's going to be in contention on my you know best eleven ballot for his exploits this year. You have a strong center back pairing, maybe not you know defender of the year quality with Andrew Farrell leading, uh, leading the way, but that's a very good player. And you have you know like a cheat code in goal in Matt Turner, just based on the advanced numbers of, you know, his save, his gold saved versus expected goals conceded, or, or whatever the exact metric is that I just put you there. So I think that they, sh- I wouldn't be worried about those those tighter games, and in fact, I'd be encouraged that they have so much experience in, that they can they can play tight games and, and not be like, oh my God, we're not winning 3-0 at halftime, or we're not winning by two goals in the 65th minute, like, what the heck is this? And, and I think that their play style is, and I think that they'll pick the game to most teams when they play, but they also have the ability to kind of sit in a little bit and, and, and let try, try to win in transition with some of their you know, better players. And Bruce Arena is obviously the most qualified manager in this country and, and, uh, as far as his resume. So uh, he has a lot of experience in winning tournaments and, and doing well at tournaments. And I think that this team is really, really well positioned, but nothing to guarantee, obviously, with all these one-offs. Another team that is very, very good in cup situations, I think, is Nashville. And that doesn't sound like much of a, you know, big take considering that they're second in the East. But I still think that people are sleeping on that team as a real contender.
2: So are they the only team that you think could potentially end the run uh, in the East for New England? Do they have an Achilles heel or do you think if they are for some reason knocked out, it won't be until the MLS Cup final against someone in the West, if it is um, maybe one of the teams that you think are, are best suited against them?
1: I mean, look, it, it, it's a one-off, so it, 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 I wouldn't rule out anybody. I mean, look, I, theoretically, like, Montreal could win and then play New England in, in, round, in the, in the New England first playoff game, and I don't think that they really have a chance, but I didn't think Montreal had a chance last year against New England when they got called field back, and Montreal weren't particularly good last year. They're better this year. But last year, they, it took a 95th minute game winner from Gustavo Bo They were 30 minutes away from penalties, and at penalties, obviously, anything can happen. In a one-off game, anything can happen any... Silly, set piece goal, any, any, you know, uncharacteristic mistake or, or insert anything here. So anybody can be anybody on a given day. Sounds like a stupid cliche. But there's a reason why it's so many teams in, in this league, well, why there isn't more teams that win the Supporters' Shield MLS Cup double, because it's really difficult.
2: Yeah, I love the one-and-done, though, in the playoffs. I'm so glad. Like, that is my preferred format.
0: It's a lot of fun. We're, uh, we're visiting with Tom Bogert. Um, Tom, let's uh, let's get into this uh, under-22, 22-under-22 22, uh, 22 22. Uh, Ricardo Pepe is at the top of the list. I am shocked. By the way, I think, was it three players (laughs) from FC Dallas uh, in total made the list? Mm -hmm. Anything that stands out to you in particular? Oh, four of them. Uh, Yeah, because let's see. Paxton Palma calls on there as well. And Justin Che uh, along with Ferreira. Yeah. um, All really good Mm -hmm. players, by the way. Uh, Anything in particular that stands out to you about the list? Yeah, I I think that...
1: It gets, it gets more and more difficult to vote on this every year. Um, I, I, I treat 22-22 very, very seriously. I, I took a lot of thought into it. There's some guys, like, look, I left Brenner off of my ballot. He was bought for $13 million by FC Cincinnati. And granted, that you know, was a really bad financial deal by them. He's still a really good player and a really highly graded one. Pius Magna, I had him on my ballot. He got left off $9 million player by NYCFC. You can just run down the list of guys who didn't make it that can just prop up it was like, My goodness, like how strong is this these twenty two players? Like Rex Shea won it in, you know, whenever ten years ago. He used to be twenty four under twenty four because we were at a different stage of quality and youth development and everything. It's just you look at the top five and, and Ricardo Pepe who's gonna be a bona fide star. He's he's an Alfonso Davies level prospect. He's going to get sold for more than Alfonso Davies' base fee. He's going to break that wow. Um you have Brian Rodriguez in the top five, who hasn't been like up to his huge talent level in MLS. He starts almost every game for the Uruguayan national team. Like, take a step back—the Uruguayan national team has has a, a you know twenty-one-year-old starter that that's in MLS, James Sands. For he he could walk into the Bundesliga right now. Like, there's just so many like good. Like Caden Clark, I think I had him at like eight or nine on mine. He's already got bought by Real Leipzig. Like, there are so many good young players, and so many so much talent, and and not just. Guys with potential, but guys who have 2,000 professional minutes. You look at Pepe. He's got 13 goals this year. He's, he's scored in the playoffs last year. James Sands has like 65 starts or whatever. Like These aren't just guys who we're looking at and be like, hey, maybe one day we hope that they could be good. If, to be on this list, you have to have the combination of potential, and you've already proved it at MLS. And, and there are a lot of 17-year-olds on that list that have already done it, and I think that that's extremely, extremely interesting and extremely positive.
2: All right, Tommy Scoops, where's Ricardo Pepe going and when's he going?
1: I think it will go this winter um, from all the folks I've talked to. Uh, as of last week or 10 days ago, last time I checked in 100% on this, there, there had not yet been an official bid, but there have been informal talks with his representation and other clubs. You know, Ajax scattered him. Bayern likes him a lot. They've had him for multiple training sessions. They, according to the Athletic, they, they see him as a young Edin Dzeko. Um, Wolfsburg, half the clubs in Italy, and you know, as uh, Fabrizio Romano put it, uh, as, as well as I could probably say, it. everybody knows about this kid. Like he's on everybody's radar. This, there, there is no club that would look at him and say, "I wouldn't want him." Like it's, it's, there are going to be a lot of teams offering, and that's why the GMs and scouts and front sort office executives that I talk to are really confident that it's going to be at least a fifteen million dollar base fee with incentives and with a selling on percentage. Um, if I had a guess, you know, when Bayern Munich really want a player. Traditionally, Bayern Munich signed that player. So if Bayern really, really do want him, I think Bayern will sign him. But that's not to say that that is a foregone conclusion. There's nothing been agreed. There's nothing been seriously talked about, to the best of my knowledge, either. So there are a lot of teams to watch, and, and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch this winter.
0: Uh, he told me, and I think he's told other people, that uh, that Robert Lewandowski is his favorite uh, player to watch. And I actually see – I'm not saying he's Lewandowski. I'm Somebody's going to jump on Twitter. <laughs> I can't believe we compared him to Lewandowski. I see similarities in the way they score their goals, um, and and he said what yeah. he loves about Lewandowski is the efficiency with which he scores. He doesn't need several touches. He doesn't need um, to dribble somebody and then shoot from long range. It's it's one touch finishes. It's efficiency uh, with every part of his body, and I, I see that from Pepe. And I if I hear if I see one more person. Uh, discredit his goals because they're so easy to score. I'm just going <laughs> to smile every time I see it because... Uh,
2: that's what good goal scorers right, do. Right, Make so it look easy. I just hope yep, if he goes to a place
0: like that, I hope he gets to play a lot and score a lot because you want somebody that's in form when it comes around to these uh, these national team games, right?
1: Yeah, I agree. But I, I really do trust Byron when it comes to youth development. I think that... yeah. If they didn't see a plan for him, they would loan him out. They've done really well with Chris Richard. That they, they kept him, they gave him chances to kind of break into the first team or see what he's like in training camp. And then the last two years, they've they've said, you know what, we'll let you get loaned out. And, and he got really valuable experience with Hoffenheim, and then he's back there again now. So, I I mean, he probably wouldn't be a, uh, like a, a regular every-game guy for Byron. But if Byron bought him and decided to not loan him out, then I think that he would get genuine minutes. Again, yeah. That's not going to be every game on a team with Robert Lewandowski. But that would be, he's going to be in the game day squad. Or maybe once in a while he'll go down and play with the second team, which is, a, 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 they're now in the fourth tier, which is obviously much, much below him. But again, I, I, I really do trust the way that that, that, club does, um, that that club does transfer business and youth development.
0: Yeah, that would, be, that would be some big news. Hey, Tom, thank you so much for the time. We know when the news happens, we'll get it from you. Uh, so we appreciate it, as always. And uh, hopefully the U.S. is out there making us look really smart by having a great performance <laughs> against Costa Rica, and we won't have to go back and delete this whole segment of the show. Uh, Tom, thanks a lot, man. We'll talk to you again soon. Hey, now, thank you so much for having me. All right, uh, that's Tom Bogert. We'll be back to preview Sporting Kansas City and Vancouver right after this on the Sporting KC Show presented by Michelob Ultra. And we're back to wrap things up on this edition of the Sporting Kansas City Show on your home for SKC Soccer, Sports Radio 810 WHB, wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate you listening, downloading, liking, all of those things. And a reminder that we are presented by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Nate Katie, along with Ali Trost as we get ready for... Another match, finally. It it took us a while to get here. We've had a little time off, but now Sporting Kansas City will head north of the border to take on the Vancouver Whitecaps Sunday night at 9 o'clock. That game can be heard on our sister station, ESPN Kansas City, 94.5 FM. You can watch it on Bally Sports Kansas City, and uh, it's going to be a big game. Uh, These are two teams that uh, that know each other well because of the Western Conference. Vancouver fighting for a playoff spot. They're just mm-hmm. below the playoff line right now. And Sporting Kansas City in second place. Alley trying to keep up and, and stay within striking distance of Seattle. Five points back of the Sounders right now and one point ahead of Colorado, who are in third place. So this is another big opportunity for Sporting to try to get some points on the road.
2: Yeah, well, and I think, you know, we were talking a little bit about the game today as we're getting ready for the broadcast on Sunday. And, I mean... Sporting Kansas City hasn't, this season at least, been the best coming off of a break that extends into double digits. And of course, with the little international break that they just had, coming off of, you know, some good momentum, a good win against the Houston uh, Dynamo there right before, uh, you know, what was that? Not last week and the weekend before, but. That, that's a little bit of a concern for a team like Vancouver that is trying to claw their way into the playoff picture. Sporting Kansas City not comfortable necessarily because, well, they're comfortable in the sense that they'll make the playoffs, but still fighting for that, that number one seed and that home field advantage. But I don't know. This is one of those games, especially when you look at just kind of the surfaces at, at Vancouver with the turf and the... And, The travel, all of those things considered, not to mention sporting coming off of that much rest. You just wonder if this could turn into a trap game. But, you know, that's just that's maybe been the trend this season. Not necessarily uh, what will be the case going into the game on Sunday, but the team will be without Alan Polito.
0: Yeah, we got the news uh, from Peter Vermees on Friday of last week that Allen Polito's undergone knee surgery. They're hoping this is a minor cleanup situation that will only keep him out a few weeks, which means he would be ready to go by the playoffs. Yeah. And look, that's when you want him. Right. I mean, they've shown they can win regular season games. Kyrie Shelton can help him up top. in those guards, their, their record is phenomenal when he starts at the number 9. Uh, but you, you want Allen Polito healthy for the playoffs. So let, let's yeah. hope that's the case. Well,
2: and I saw a lot of people online, you know, like, oh, like, you just can't stay healthy. It's like, well, he's probably getting the surgery because he needs it, you know? Like, this isn't something that any player hopes to have to go through, especially at this point in the season. But the fact that, you know, it does seem, at least the way that Vermees characterized it as a cleanup, it wasn't, you know, a a severe surgery by any means. Three to five weeks was the timeline we got. And we saw what happened when you didn't have Alan Polito last year. Not that he was the only reason um, that Sporting made the exit a little bit earlier than they would have liked against Minnesota, but – it certainly helps when you have him as an option mm-hmm. for this team. And with, even with his, how good they've been with Kyrie Shelton, Alan Polito is just a player that you want to have available during the postseason. They had to make that decision to get the surgery, and the timeline should hopefully put him back in the mix. Well, he clearly been,
0: you been know, dealing with this knee situation for quite some time and trying to find a way to fight his way through it and play his way through it. And then you get to the decision where it's like, okay, maybe shut it down now. Yeah. Get it taken care of and then be ready so you're not playing whatever percentage he was trying to fight through it. And that hopefully that means he'll come back actually healthy and, and ready to give it a full go. Now, these two teams played earlier in the season at Children's Mercy Park. Sporting won 3-0. A brace from Alan Polito in that one. Uh, so he's not going to be available for this one. If you go back to last year, Sporting Kansas City opened up the regular season With a 3-1 win at Vancouver, Alan Polito scored in his SKC debut in that one, as did Gotti of Oh, yeah. And then they added uh, one, a a fancy goal at the end by two guys that are no longer with sporting between uh, Gersos Ruleta, as he told us it was called, and the pass to uh, Hurtado, who smashed it home to make it 3-1. But it was also famous, Alley because that was the GIF game. I call it a GIF. I don't know if you're a GIF or a GIF person.
2: I think I'm a, I'm definitely a gift person, but I some people get really like fired up about uh, gift gif. <laughs>
0: I mostly call it a GIF because it annoys Jake Catterazz on the morning show, um,
2: and for that reason, I totally yeah. I stand with you. But on that.
0: I also just think that GIF sounds kind of like a little bit of a good eh, GIF.
2: Okay, here's a, where I'm like, going to come in here and, and back GIF. up my GIF yeah. because the GIF we're talking about is a gift to the that internet that keeps
0: on giving. One of the greatest uh, GIFs <laughs> GIFs we've ever seen of Peter Vermes with the uh, blank off, blank off blank, blank off, blank off, in three th- th- proof. Of what I try to explain to my children all the time, which is humans react only 25% to what you say and 75% to how you say it because Peter Vermees showed that you can say that phrase in three different ways and have three completely different meanings, sometimes in the same Sentence. And uh, it was all great. It was good fun. I know Peter doesn't really love that it gets talked about all the time, but, and he's pointed out like it's one of those things where in today's world, you never know how the world's gonna react. Is it gonna be, right. are they gonna you know, castigate you and yell at you, or are they gonna think it's hilarious? Peter has the magic touch because everybody thinks that was awesome. And it was one of those things where you could tell he wasn't telling the other person to do that. He was saying, did you really just say that right. to me? <laughs> That's basically what he was saying. And the two of them made up, and now we can laugh about it. And it's
2: one of the greatest. I post it at minimum yeah. once a year, at least every <laughs> few months. I like, try to bring it back in the rotation. No, but I mean, we know that Peter Rameez, like anyone who's watched a game, whether in person or on Your television set. Peter Vermees is not void of passion. He actually talks about it a lot. Like he's like, I'm actually able to, relatively speaking, be pretty calm after games and how I talk about the game itself, unless of course something like crazy happens that maybe you know trickles into the post game. But he's like, I I get it all out in the game, and so you know if you're getting into a little sideline scuffle with Peter Vermees, just know you're getting him at his most passionate and, like, <laughs> yeah. intense moment. You know, like, yeah. you're not getting him post-game, you're not getting him pre-game. Like, he is he's in the moment, and it hey, I'm just happy that we have that incredible gift. Whether Peter likes it, it's around or not. I think, I don't know. Part of him, probably. I mean, it's a it's a pretty <laughs> badass gift.
0: Well, here's the thing. Uh, this is now a, a Vancouver Whitecaps team that's gone through a coaching change because they Fired Mark Dos Santos in the season. Uh, why did they fire him when the team is in the playoff running? Um, it looks like it was because of a performance in uh, in the Canadian championship in which they lost to Pacific FC 4-3. He was let go after that. Since that happened, uh, let's see here. One win, win. So they've gone win, win, loss, draw, win, draw, win. Win and then lost to Seattle, so they have been playing really good stuff. Um, and then they they did have a four one loss, yeah, four one loss to v- to Seattle in their last game. Seattle's really good. Yeah, I don't think most people will say, "Well, you're no good if you and lost to Seattle. Seattle." Really
2: good, like they're yeah. good at scoring. They're good at scoring goals. So if you lose to Seattle four to one, it looks worse than you know what you may have lost. To against another team that could have just been a 2-1 loss or a 1-0 loss. Um, but no, I mean, seven wins and seven draws during those last 15 games is, is pretty remarkable. And that in that one loss coming to Seattle, we'll see how much of an outlier that loss um, actually is when these two teams face off on Sunday. But it definitely won't be an easy one for sporting. And I really just think that where they're getting this Vancouver team, like the point that they are currently at in this final stretch, fighting for a playoff spot, the form that they've been in outside of that one game. Uh, And then Sporting, of course, coming off rest where they've, you know, at other points this season, collected a record of two draws and a loss after those double-digit rests. I mean, look, however much you want to play into that or not, I think Sporting Kansas City, at least in recent history, have learned you know, maybe the mentality that it takes to come out after coming out against Seattle at home after some rest and being disappointed with how they start in that first half, turning things around. That happened recently enough that maybe that kind of sticks with them here where they're like, hey, we need to, you know, maybe come out of the gates this way, coming off of a break versus what we just, you know, had seen.
0: So uh, and for Vancouver, their, their interim head coach is Vanny Sartini, who was the club's director of methodology, Hmm. before this so uh now he's i'm the, the methodology
2: at sports radio at is that right yeah. you yeah. are you
0: know and and uh, we're all watching our backs now Allie, in case we have a, <laughs> a loss to pacific or something like that you might just step right in and boom uh no,
2: that's it. i've actually just never heard that title i, before. I had neither i'm sure it's I like synonymous neither. with something yeah. like common that we see but
0: technical director or something like that but uh, like director of methodology now interim coach so
2: hey how about that? Well, hey, I also just want to give some updates since we are following the World Cup qualifiers. Daniel Shaloui and the Hungarian national team played England to a 1-1 mm-hmm. draw today. And then Gadi Kinda in Israel played Moldova to a two and a one two to one so that was the uh those were the results for sporting kansas city players today
0: i watched uh the hungarian game uh daniel did not get to get to play in this one um but it was a big result yeah. um winning at or getting a draw at wembley against england they booed the england players off the field at, uh, afterwards because they didn't want to draw in that one so hey congratulations but now daniel come back home and help sporting kansas city get a win in Vancouver. That's going to do it for us. Uh, Thanks to Tom Bogert for joining us. Thanks to you for listening. We'll see you Sunday night, 9 o'clock, Valley Sports, Kansas City, and ESPN Kansas City 94.5 FM, Sporting KC at the Vancouver Whitecaps. And we'll see you next time on the Sporting Kansas City Show.